Hello, and welcome to the New Digital Age PMU podcast. My name's Maura Cutterford-Jones. I'm a business journalist and editor. These podcasts are a series of short interviews with the amazing people who take part in the Practice Makes Unperfect course in association with Amy Keane, a course that helps people find and finesse their public voices. Hi, James, and welcome to the NDA PMU podcast. First of all, before we launch into today's topic, how about you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you work, a bit about your your experience. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me, Mark. I'm I'm very excited to be here. My name is James Bay. I currently work as a sales director at Permutive, which is an ad tech company that is on a mission to rebuild data from the ground up with the focus on preserving, protecting, and safeguarding consumer privacy. Um, I've been in this ad tech space for nearly a decade now, um, but I come from a very different background in medical sciences, um, but I've been kind of uh, knee-deep in this space for for a while, and I'm I'm very excited to be here and to, to have this conversation with you. Fantastic. Well, you didn't choose a small topic at all, did you? You've chosen uh-huh. all of consumer choice and data economy. But I mean, it's it's a great gnarly topic to get into. The, the fact that the whole world is now powered by data and as individual consumers, we are the holders of that data. Everyone wants our data and they want to do something with it. And we can feel kind of assaulted on all sides. So, so I guess my first question for you is that consumer privacy has been at the forefront of the industry for a few years, starting with GDPR. There's similar regulations that have rolled out across a bunch of different markets. But what can the industry be doing better to address privacy and restore consumer trust? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And it's a, it's a loaded question. Um, I would say consumer privacy ultimately boils down to choice. And the act of choosing is different from the act of consenting. And and that's one of the reasons why I think the industry can be doing better to to address consumer privacy, right? Because the industry settled on a consent framework that everyone knows it's way too complicated, right? No one reads the terms and conditions, the pop-up window that comes up when you visit a website, they're closed out as soon as possible, right? I would argue that the vast majority of consumers are not consenting when they're asked about their data, but rather they are reacting as quickly as possible so they can go on about their day, right? So I think as an industry, we need to focus on enabling consumers to make informed and deliberate choices about their data. And that can mean how it's accessed and how it's used by others, really. Um, I think the, the current version really doesn't work well, and it certainly doesn't help restore consumer trust uh, as far as online privacy and data protection is concerned. Um, yeah, I'll just add one more point here. I think making informed choices about how data is accessed and, and used that, that's just the baseline, right? The real question, in my opinion, that needs to be asked whether consumers uh, is, is whether a consumer actually wants to exchange their data for benefits. Uh, and that's essentially what the, the choice is about. 
And, and I don't think that question is being asked at all by the industry. Fantastic. Oh, my God, there is so much to unpick there. Let, let's let's start with the one of the really interesting things you said right up front is that you don't believe consumers are consenting. They're just they're just getting admin out of the way, aren't they? So that they can get on with their day. And in law, you can say, well, you've been given the opportunity to you've been given the it's up to you to inform yourself. But we really are putting a hell of a lot of roadblocks in their way, aren't we? I agree. I don't think we're making it simple for consumers to really engage with what what is at stake here, right? I think the regulations around the world, as you mentioned, have made it uh, so that there's a growing public awareness around all these data protection regulations and whatnot, but it's only on the surface level. Uh, When they're actually visiting a website, reading a newspaper online, we're always seeing windows, but they they don't help at all when it comes to helping consumers understand how their data is being used. And it's really a, a reactionary thing, almost Pavlov, Pavlovian, uh, I would argue. Uh, it, it's not a, an informed, deliberate choice that consumers make. Uh, and I don't think uh, an everyday consumer really understands how their data is accessed and used. I mean, you're right. I think the understanding piece is really critical because the people who have put this together, they're the lawyers. You know, it, it, it's filled with legalese. And, you know, it's like everyone, how many people have downloaded an app from the App Store and read the I agree to the terms and conditions? You could have sold your life away. It could have been, it could have been tied up in endless knots. What it, what it fundamentally is, is it's not consumer facing. It's not consumer first. We talk about everything being customer centric. And the thing about our data, the thing that we are allegedly holding most dear is so not consumer centric. But now here's the gnarly bit. Can we make it? I mean, it's, it's complex. The data involved, the data that's flowing through these websites, it's not easy to unravel. Can we make it simple? I hope so. There's a lot of smart people working in this industry. Um, But to your point, there's a lot of things to unpack, decouple in order for us to get there. I think what's important to focus on is is that we we talk about the value exchange a lot as an industry, right? And and the obvious value exchange uh, that, that the industry talks about is you get free content in exchange for advertising, hopefully relevant advertising with all the technologies out there, right? But people generally get that, but I don't think people really embrace it. They just merely tolerate ads, right? Um, you only need to look at the prevalent use of ad blockers to get a grasp of how people generally feel about ads. Um, Last year, there was about 260 million monthly active users with app blockers enabled. And that's just on desktop, right? If you look at mobile, it's close to 600 million active users. Um, this obviously remains an important challenge for the industry to solve. That's you know, without a doubt. But I think the, most, the more important value exchange that needs to be discussed is sharing personal data with companies for benefits. So it's not just getting free content for advertising. What kind of benefits are there for consumers in exchange for the data that they 
in turn share with, with companies. Um, I think with that, it's interesting because there's been a rise in capitalist mindset amongst consumers. Uh, so what that means is that they view themselves as owners of their own data. And they believe that it is their choice, their right to trade their data with companies to gain specific benefits. Is the industry to uh, necessarily set up right now to support this transaction? I don't think so. Um, that, that's probably because when you think about data transactions, there's the, the media buyer and there's a media seller. And of course, in the industry, there's, there's a lot of people in between uh, that transaction, right? But consumers are not really part of that equation. And so I think the first thing, one of the first things that we need to do as an industry is level the playing field for consumers and ask how can we invite consumers to be a part of this data sharing economy. And I think as a natural byproduct, I think there needs to be some intentionality as well, but as a natural byproduct, people will want to know more about their data ownership and how their data is used and how companies will be using it for their benefits, but in turn, what kind of benefits would the consumers have and get in return, right? That's the thing. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating what you've gone through there because it's the whole conundrum of me feeling that I'm in control of my data. Well, for a start, I feel it's almost futile clicking the accept thing because I'm fully aware that they may not get my, if I, if I say no manage cookies and restrict as much information as possible on that site, I know full well, whatever brands advertising on that site's got it from another site. They've got it from Facebook somehow. They've got it from a lookalike. I am very much not in control of my data. I am just holding my data back at that specific moment in time. They may, they may already know everything about me anyway. What's the point? Um, and as hard as it is to say this, I think we've got to give some kudos, don't we, to, to the social media sites, to the, wall, to the walled gardens, because that's the way it works. We've, kind of, we've given our data to one entity mm-hmm. and they've said, well, theoretically, we'll, we'll look after it for you and we'll give it to people who we think you would be interested in. I mean, I have to say that my ad experience is infinitely better on something like Instagram where I get shown a wild amount of different stuff on Instagram Reels, but the ads are by and large vaguely relevant compared to them. And also the, importantly, I think they're in a format that doesn't, forgive my French, piss me off. Yeah. Because I think that the thing, this whole value exchange of getting ads on a site or, or on, a, on a publisher's place and the prevalence of ad blockers isn't so much that you're showing me stuff that's irrelevant, it's that you're showing me it in a 12-inch pop-up that means I can't see my article, I've got five minutes to read it before my train comes and the 4G goes, and I can't get rid of this shoddy ad that I don't want to see anyway. So there's a lot tied up in there, but is there is there scope to have kind of like this data curation going, you know what, rather than clicking and managing and checking boxes on every single site we visit, can't we package it up in a little padlock and say, here's, here's my padlock data. If you meet all the criteria, you get to unlock that padlock. If you don't, you get unlock that padlock halfway. 
I mean, I am certainly not one of the brightest minds, but where do we where do we go from here, James? I think you bring up uh, very interesting points there. And uh, I don't know if the industry has an answer to that, but there are technologies out there like blockchain that would enable that that are inherently built to protect privacy and to um, promote transparency um, when it comes to keeping records of specific transactions and, and being able to share the data with others uh, that the industry has yet to tap into. And so I think there are a lot of opportunities um, to explore there. Uh, I'm not an expert, so I, I can't go too far into depth on that front as well. But I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I do think that these walled gardens are doing some things well in the sense that they're able to show ads in a way that doesn't really disrupt your experience on the platform. Um, and that goes a long way. That also comes with a lot of the data that they already have access to. Um, I think when it comes to the open web, um, it, it's important to also realize that as these privacy and data protection regulations are rolled out and um, what's commonly known as the cookie apocalypse, the, as the cookie crumbles um, and uh, as Chrome pulls the plug come next year, um, a lot of the media companies, media owners will inevitably become walled garden themselves. Uh, that's because cross-domain tracking is already limited on Apple devices like and, and Firefox and Chrome is gonna follow suit shortly. But that means that media owners, they need to figure out how to make the most of the data that they can collect of course, in a way that empowers consumers to make choices about, yes, I want to share their data, my data with you. Um, but being able to package up in a way that uh, can help them thrive in, the, in this privacy first world. So it's, it's, there's a lot of work to be done. And there's a lot of work that has been done and is ongoing. Um, but I think, you know, I, I speak with a lot of media companies uh, just in my, in my day job. and. It's interesting because there's a there's a split between how they feel about privacy, um, because quite frankly, people say the right things. We care about user privacy, consumer privacy, but their business models don't necessarily reflect that. Um, yeah, because they they can't hold on to. Uh, I mean, they, they can't help but hold on to business practices and models because it, it's it impacts their their bottom line, right? And so I think it's really about taking a step back um, and really assessing everything with an unsentimental set of eyes and say, if I really do want to work towards building a consumer privacy first ecosystem, what do I need to do to change, right? And there are some workaround solutions that are being proposed out there that will only perpetuate problems that got us into this first place. So what are some solutions that that we can do as a company, that we can deploy as a company to really walk the walk, not just talk the talk, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's it is so complex. My brain is melting already. Um, I mean, there's also, also, you know, there's the question of 
creating identities, isn't it? And having, you know, packaging us up as consumers and going so we can be sort of spread across the net and having premium versions where there's a logged in experience that you can then see the, 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 you can see more targeted ads, but you see fewer. So no need for an ad block. And if you just want to visit a site once, you've just got to deal with 8,000 pop-ups and that's your slush inventory going forwards and so many different permutations. I mean, just one thing before we wrap up, we were talking talk right up at the start, restoring consumer trust. And I think a big part of that, when we talk about the regulation, is the fact that I don't mind so much companies having my data as long as you don't mind, uh, you don't make me fill in a massive long form and then don't do anything with it. Or if you scrape my data and then don't bombard me proactively with stuff. But the worst possible thing you can do with my data is gather it surreptitiously and then lose it mm. or, or do something badly. So do you think, you know, we've seen GDPR bite. It's shown its fangs a couple of times. 700 and something was... Uh, which was, uh, who was that? Amazon. Amazon got the biggest fine, didn't it, for misusing data. So um, having seen them bear their fangs and fine Amazon 700-something dollars, was it, or euros? Who knows? We can, we can look it up. It's okay. <laughs> it was a lot. Put it that way. Dollars, euros, whatever it was, that's still a lot. Um, do you think the consumer needs to see those regulators and, and the companies need to take those regulatory fines really seriously over a bit more time for, for them to start acting spontaneously, perhaps in a, in a privacy first way, and for consumers to appreciate the value exchange a bit more because they know they're more protected by a big brother somewhere in the background. Yeah. I don't think it hurts to see regulators clamp down on specific companies for violating laws. But in order for consumers to, to gain trust, to, to restore that consumer trust, I think it really needs to come down to the consumer level because those fines are, are a bit removed from, from them, right? If you talk about fining a, a media conglomerate, a billion dollars when their operating budget is tens of billions or hundreds of billions. Is that really going to make an impact on them? Not sure. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to, to, to be fined, but for consumers to be, to really impact the consumer mindset, I think the onus is on everyone, but initially on the media owners to really inform and educate them about data ownership and data practices in a way that doesn't require someone to to go through an industry glossary to figure out what what they're trying to say so it, it's a, it's a matter of simplifying the message but again I, I come back to the value exchange of what benefits does an act of sharing their data offer to consumers or there's a, a ton of benefits i think that business can, can really start to explore Right, it could be a, it could be direct financial payment incentives, for example, or for a, a news publishers, can they offer discounts on subscriptions or even free products or services altogether? If there are tangible benefits for consumers, and that process is transparent, it's clear, uh, and there's no no gray zone, 
then it, it, it will inevitably lead to consumers um, increasing their awareness about how their data is used, but most importantly, take a few steps towards restoring that trust with consumers. Because again, the companies will be treating consumers as equals in these transactions, and, and everyone will be able to participate in this global data sharing economy. Fantastic, James. That's a fantastic summary to end our discussion on, I think. I mean, I, I still kind of feel like we may be a long way off getting <laughs> yes. to where we want to get to. Um, and, and when I started this discussion, I was like, oh, God, this is just like throwing a drop in the ocean somewhere. But I actually I do feel like there are there are roadmaps and that there is a process that is going to be worked through. So I just want to thank you ever so much for sharing those great insights with us. It has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Right back at you. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And yeah, thanks again for the opportunity. 